0: So this morning I got a, a message, and uh, I titled it, <coughs> goodness, my allergies, to fear or not to fear. <coughs> and I titled it that way because you guys remember a couple weeks ago I said I don't like old English, and I don't like Shakespeare. <laughs> so it's kind of a little play, uh, to fear or not to fear, it's a quote from you know, Shakespeare. <coughs> not directly, but <laughs> kind of play out of Shakespeare. But anyways... I titled it because a lot of times we go through life and we really don't understand fear. Uh, We we know all different kinds of fear that we experience in the world. Uh, We know a fear that we read in the Bible. And we know there's a healthy fear, there's a bad fear. And we just get bombarded with all these different kinds of fears. And really, it's kind of easy to get lost in all of it. And we don't understand why we fear. And it just it can actually lead to a very dark road if we focus a lot on our fears. So this morning, I want to ask, why do we fear? And by asking that, we look, obviously, to God's word and say, you know, what does Jesus say about fear? What does God's word say about fear? Now, depending on what version you have and who you're getting it from, um, it says that the words do not be afraid or do not fear, depending on what you want to say, is in the Bible at least 365 times, give or take 20 or 30, again, depending on your translation. It's over 300 times. Now, God does not tell us something over 300 times if it's not meant to be important and it's not meant to be understood. So if God is telling us, let's just say 365 times, because I like that. It's one for each day of the year. If he's telling us each day that we wake up and we get out of bed, Do not be afraid. Why do we still fear? Why are we still afraid? Now, to really understand that, I think we've got to kind of look at how the world views fear. And I'm just going to take, I'm not going to define fear by the worldly standards, but I'm going to take one simple thing that the world identifies with fear, and that's weakness. We hear all the time, only the strong survive, right? We've heard that before. Don't be weak. Be strong. Stand up. Be mighty, right? We say it in the church all the time, you know, be strong. But if you look at the word weak, and we say, okay, what does weak mean? By God's standards or by human standards? And see, that's where we kind of get into the true definition of why we fear and what we fear. So for the first scripture, I'm going to do two scriptures today. First one, if you guys have a Bible, or if you don't, we've got some right down here. Um, and you want to read along, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Paul says in verse 9, and he says, and he said to me, and when he says he, he means Jesus, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and in persecutions and even in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not only the strong survive. It's those who are strong in Christ we find survival, strength. And so if we look at the word fear and we say, okay, the world says we're weak if we fear, okay? That's why we have all the, the daredevils that we do in society today, right? If, if you're weak, you know, it's not good. You don't wanna be weak. You gotta be strong. Everybody's gotta be strong, self-sufficient. We've been hearing that since the eighties. Self-sufficient, be strong in yourself. But see, God's word does not define strength that way. He defines strength through our weakness. And so I picked out four scriptures out of about a couple dozen that I want to read this morning. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We all know that one. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear, there's that do not fear again, or be in dread of them, that's the world, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you, nor will he forsake you. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, there it is again, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous hand. That's God saying I. That's not me. I'm not going to (laughs) find my own strength. I'm not going to be able to help myself. And I'm not going to be able to uphold myself. God says, I do that. Also in Isaiah 40, chapter th- uh, verse 31. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. All of our strength comes from God. See, when we're weak in the world, we're strong in Christ. For us to be strong, we must be weak. And see, this defies all human logic. It doesn't make sense. It's, you know, we sit and we actually think about it and say, okay, I'm supposed to be weak, and that's how I find strength. It doesn't make any sense. Normally, if we want to be strong, we say, okay, I've got to be strong. You know, I've got to have willpower, and I've got to be able to do this. And we build ourselves up to be strong. But God says, no, it's the opposite. In your most humblest humility point in your life, that's where you find my strength. And one person who knew that was David. David found that because David had a very humble upbringing being a shepherd. He was put to be a king and so in that humbleness of growing up as a shepherd and being anointed to be king of all of Israel, he, he found God and then of course he got caught up in the powers of being a king. He got caught up in the world and what happened? Beersheba, right? We all know that story. And again, In his most weakest, humblest moments where he prayed for seven days straight, fasted, didn't eat, praying that the baby would live. Everybody remember that part of the Bible? Is where he found God's grace again, his strength. Because even though that baby died, he got up and he said, it's done. It's over. And he resumed being king of Israel. And everything went right back to normal, just like it was before Beersheba. It's like all his sins were just washed away. There's no more mention of any of it. No more going back to it, dwelling on it. It's gone. And the rest of the Old Testament, as you read about David, it's never ever mentioned again after that point. Because in his most humblest point, his weakest state, he went from this power of king to the most humblest man just covered in ashes and fasting and not eating, laying prostate on the ground for seven, eight days straight, whatever it was. That's... When he found his strength again. But it wasn't his strength. God's strength. Through him. So I'm going to read this again. One more time. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And this is the most ironic part about this. If you think about it again, what Paul is saying here does not line up with our way of thinking. I would rather boast in my infirmities. Who boasts in their infirmities? Who walks around and says, yeah, I can't walk good today? You know what? Praise God, I can't walk good today. I don't hear that very often. Praise God, I'm sick. Hallelujah, I love it. We don't hear that. But that's what Paul is saying here. He says, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because when you are glad, no matter what you are facing, all glory goes to God. And then he continues on. He doesn't stop there. He says, therefore, I take pleasure. I mean, he's just reiterating what he's already said. I take pleasure in my infirmities. I take pleasure in my needs. Who walks around and says, thank God, I don't have enough food this week. Praise the Lord. You don't hear that. He says, I take pleasure... In my persecutions. Who says, thank you, Lord, that I am in jail for serving you? Someone who loves the Lord. Someone who loves the Lord. And we do have that going on in the world, even today. Even today, people are still being shot, locked up, raped, whatever. Because they refuse to say, Christ does not exist And they take pleasure because they rest in his strength. Because Paul says, For when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. So, to not have fear, we now know requires strength, courage, and boldness, but not ours, his. All his. So, when we are in him, we have no fear. But that doesn't fully answer the question. We still know we fear. Why do we fear? And so I'm going to take you guys to another scripture this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26, actually 28. This is a piece of scripture that most pastors will avoid. And most of us will avoid as we read the Bible because it kind of contradicts itself when you first read it. It's a little hard to grasp. But I think it's really important that we understand this passage to truly understand fear. Verse 28, Matthew chapter 10. Now a little background on this real quick. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's telling them that they don't need to be afraid of the world. They don't need to be afraid of other people. Even more specific, they don't need to be afraid of the leadership the people in power during that time. That would be the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says to them in verse 28, and do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him. That's a capital H. Capital H stands for God. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And this is where we come into a contradiction. God tells us not to fear, but we're supposed to fear. I'll get to it in a second. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Basically saying everything happens in God's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows every hair on our head. He knows every feeling and thought in our hearts and our minds. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And that's really important. We'll come back to that too. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And whoever denies me before men will also be denied before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I want to go back to verse 29 first. It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will? Everything is in God's will. But the very hairs of your head are numbered. And I want to go to Psalm 8. And this was written by David. And in Psalm 8, David says, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? What? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, but you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands and to have put all things under his feet, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. If you think about what David's saying there, think about how mighty God is. All the universe, universe is every star, every planet, everything. And yet God lifts us, measly old humans, up above all all those other things. Why? David says, what is is a man to you? Because God created us in his image. He lifts us up beyond all those things. Even gives us dominion over everything here on earth. Why? Why? We're just below the angels, he says, while we're here on earth. I mean, that's, that's pretty lifted up. Caused a war last time I checked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lucifer wasn't too happy about that. Why? Why is man so lifted up? Because God counts us. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more value than many sparrows. We are more valuable than the planet's and all the stars, and all the heavens, and all the oceans, and all the universes. God says, we're more important. So why are we supposed to fear Him? And when we look at this, and we say, verse 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill, kill the soul. What is the one most thing that we honestly fear? All of us honestly fear here on earth. It's death. Even those that are believers, sometimes we still fear death. And Jesus is telling us, look, you don't need to fear death of this, our physical body. It's not important. It's meaningless. You need to worry about your soul. That's what you need to fear death of. And so when he says you need to fear him who can kill body and soul, and I want to I quote this real quick, in Destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, again, I just want to take a small tangent here, because I want to define hell. A lot of times we get caught up in what the world has defined as hell. Yes, the book, his word, gives us images, okay? Fire, fire lake, gnashing of teeth, okay? But the world's given us a lot more images, hasn't it? And not all those images are true. You want to take a simple definition of hell, It's apart from God. Complete separation. Okay? We are partly separated because we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, but God is still with us. He created us. Okay? You cannot have any existence apart from God because his life is in us. That is what hell is. It is complete separation from God. Everything. Because everything has been created by God. Fire, stars, moon, oceans, everything. So hell is defined as complete separation from God. That is what Jesus is saying. You need to fear. And that's why he gives the images of gnashing teeth and fiery lakes, Because it was meant to create a kind of fear. That was the whole purpose. But it's not to actually fear God. Unless, of course, you're not trusting in him. You're not abiding in him. You don't believe God is who he says he is. Then we should have some kind of fear. And if we uh, remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about John ten ten. The thief comes to kill and to destroy, right? The thief wants to take us away, to twist how we perceive God, how we perceive God's word, just as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Nothing has changed. It's the same thing being played out generation after generation after generation. If you study history, you see history constantly repeats itself. Why? Because we are given a choice. Either we choose to believe in God or we choose not to. And that's when the enemy goes to work and he tries to distort God's truth. Take us away from God's truth. And that is truly where we have to have fear. In our daily walks, we have got to be meditating and and um, truly humbling ourselves before the Lord, becoming weak, not strong, because in strength we have pride in ourselves, right? And when we have strength and pride in ourselves, we kind of get blinded. We're not, we're not seeing God. And that's, that's it's a fine line. And I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes here this morning, because believe me, my toes get stepped on plenty by the Lord. This is, it's called conviction, and it's a good thing. All right? And he tells us, you know, you can't, Be strong, you gotta be weak. And when you're weak, you know my strength, you know me. And in that, you have no fear. But if you feel you're strong in yourself, and if you feel that you can empower yourself and take control of your life here on Earth, and that everything here on Earth is all there is, you better have some fear because all you're worried about is this, your physical body, your life here. And then you do have cause for fear. And that's what we really need to be afraid of. It's not so much of a fear of God because those of us who believe in God and trust in God, he says, do not fear, be not afraid because I am your strength, I am everything. It's when we forget and we stop looking at the stars and we stop looking at the moon and the oceans and everything around us and saying, wow, he loves little old me over all this. When we forget that and the things of this life become more important than praying to him, to worshiping him, to trusting him, to walking in his faith, then we have cause to fear. Then we have cause to fear. So I want to close one more time. 2 Corinthians with Paul saying, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you no matter what you're facing today, no matter what you think you need to fear, no matter what is troubling you. My grace, it's God speaking, my grace is sufficient. See, God is all sufficient. And we forget that sometimes. We say, well, why do we suffer? Why do we have pain? Why are we sick? Remember his words in Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways, meaning beyond our understanding. Again, it takes humbleness to understand that. It takes a state of uh, weakness in our mind to say, you know what? I surrender to that. I surrender to the fact that I'm never going to understand how God operates. And that's trusting. That's walking in faith. It's all together. He says, my grace is sufficient because God says, I am all sufficient for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So let us not try to be strong on our own accord, but let us humbly come before God and say, you know what? (laughs) I'm a hot mess, Lord. (sighs) It's been a hard week and I am just a hot mess. Lord, help me. Be with me. Give me your strength. So, therefore, we can boast in our infirmities, for that the power of Christ may rest upon us. And Paul says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Amen. Amen.